everyone, and welcome to That Wellness Podcast with Natalie Deering. I am sitting here today with Joan Ryan. Joan transitioned her previous career as an attorney to organizational development, leadership coaching, and Enneagram teaching about 20 years ago. She has worked as a senior leadership coach and trainer with senior management in international law firms, medical settings, major corporations, and nonprofit organizations. And she is internationally recognized as an Enneagram expert and is level one trained in IFS and is based in the Boston area. Welcome, Joan, to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, always lovely to talk to another nine. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I've been listening to, you know, all of your episodes on, on Tammy's podcast. Uh, and, and I love parts of me that are nine affiliated, I guess. Okay. Love, love it when you're bringing up that you're a type nine. Yeah. Cause I'm sitting there listening to it and my parts are going like, Oh yes. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. On occasion I have been accused of being an eight, which I'm not. Mm. My dad was an eight and my younger daughter is an eight. So I'm kind of in between. So sometimes I merge with that. Yeah. So we can, for the listeners, now that you know that both yeah, Jen and I share a, a type nine, we're, I'm okay with like using nines as a lot of examples. And I'm sure I'll be sharing things that relate to me and, and my life as we talk about the Enneagram and whatnot. So, okay, yeah, perfect. Sure. And, you know, so Joan, I'd love to, to start off with asking you, cause I'm just really curious about this. How did you make the transition from being an attorney to doing what you do now? It's always hard to, to explain this because there was no plan mm. and I couldn't have planned it the way it worked out. Even if I had tried um, at some point, about 18 years into my legal career, which was fine. I could do it. I was competent. Um, it occurred to me that I really did not enjoy what I was doing. Mm. And it took a really long time in a nine way <clears throat> for me to figure that out. And having that much invested in it, law school and you know, work and everything else, um, and also being primary support of my family with a small kid and um, a teenager, um, it was a very difficult thing to think about making a change. Yeah. It took a long time and very long story short, um, I just decided at some point that I needed help to figure out how to transition because mm. there were only two things that were clear. One was that I needed to do something different because I was really stuck and I didn't know how to do that. Um, the easy thing would have been to learn a different legal specialty and try that on uh, mm -hmm. because it was limited and, you know, doing one kind of work just by what it was. But um, in retrospect, in retrospect, I think that my knowledge that I really could be doing something else was trying to come through mm. and it took a long time again very nine like process and it was it also at some point became clear that I just didn't want to stay in the field at all yeah and a lot of reasons but it's not really relevant so what I did was I started to study stuff that I had never done before 
at this point, I had never done any therapy, never took any courses in psychology, never done anything around wellness. Of course, 25 years ago, that didn't really mm-hmm. exist. And really didn't, uh, and dabbling. What do I like? What do I not like? And at one point, um, my brother was working for a very forward-looking corporation and they started to do some, what at that time were personal growth workshops. And he took me to one and um, in typical stubborn nine fashion, uh, <laughs> the way he, t- he and my sister-in-law tell the story is I sat there with my arms crossed you know, across my chest, mm-hmm. very protected, kind of like, yeah, right. What am I doing here? Until about the end, when somehow I relaxed and I asked a question and on hearing my voice, my sister-in-law fell out of her chair mm. because she had been convinced that I was never going to forgive her for dragging me to this thing. Mm. But something got through and fast forward a few months, there were lots of different kinds of techniques that were available through this uh, experience. And one of them was the Enneagram. And what happened was the first time I went to a workshop and I had started to relax a little bit because I could feel, and now I would say it was my intuition, but at that time I didn't know. I could feel that there was something that I wanted here because I was watching the other people and I saw different behavior and and a relaxedness and a, um, a flow that I didn't feel, but I wanted it. I went to this Enneagram workshop and the leader looked at me, asked me two questions. Number first of which was, what do you do? And I told her I was a lawyer and she said, oh, you're a six, go sit with the sixes over there. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I did that. And I've told this story many times. Um, And, you know, it was sort of interesting and I could kind of get it. Um, And now I know it's because my line to six is pretty strong because Legal education is a six process, essentially. Mm. I've been in it for years. And we went through one workshop and then there was another one. And I don't remember why I went. But the second time, somebody in the nine group was paying attention. And he walked over to me and said, you know what? Why don't you come over here and sit with us? And I did. And I sat down and then I got it. Mm. Here were people who thought the way I did, reacted the way I did, didn't think it was weird, you know, had uh, um, responded to the same kinds of concerns. Yeah. Same kinds of experiences. And it was, it just opened everything up. So, um, so I got as much information as I could and as much training as I could. And something in me says, if you can go to the source of learning, you go. So very quickly, I was in Helen Palmer and David Daniels training. um, And I found out that this was something that not only I could do, but I loved doing. Yeah. Because I could type, I could understand it, I could facilitate, which I had been learning all along. And it just started to come together. Mm -hmm. And then as I was making this transition, a couple of things happened. One was that I got the opportunity to run the training program, which I did for five years. I used to go back and forth from here to California. And that gave me the opportunity to do the professional trainings repeatedly, 
because I was working them and doing some teaching in them and being mentored directly by Helen and David, which was extraordinary. And that built my, my experience and my knowledge. And, And I had all this mentoring. And then I got the opportunity to do a big coaching project in a big law firm. And I was like, law firm, I want to do that. <laughs> Apologize if you can hear the barking, but I'm not going to get out. No, to it's it. fine. <laughs> and so I became the uh, outside go-to executive coach for a very large law firm. And I did that for about 15 years. Oh, wow. More than one firm, but basically one firm. And that built skills. And the Enneagram sat in the background there a few times. I taught it in to some of the lawyers, mm-hmm. but not often. Um, okay. and, and what's happened is that the, to my eyes, the business uses and the, the real popularity and mainstream, it just took a really long time. We thought it was going to be much faster and it's hitting now. Right. You know, who knew, but you have to be the thing that I hate the most patient. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) People who don't understand nine very well will go, what? Oh, I, as you say that. Yeah. Not my strong suit. Yeah. As you say that, I'm like, oh yeah. 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 Yeah, You want to make us stubborn? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I understand that one. Definitely. So yeah, that's an interesting, that is an interesting way that kind of life kind of brought you to the Enneagram. And that is a big transition, like you were saying, like from putting in all that time into law school and yeah. being in that career for so long and then having that realization of, I'm, you know, I'm not well, really you feeling see the horror on the faces of my friends and, and my parents' friends. You're going to do, mm. you're giving this up to do what? Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is where the proof really was because the intuition said yes. Mm-hmm. And then it started to be supported. Yeah. And it wasn't easy. It took a long time, but it absolutely was guided somehow. Yes. Yeah. And that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful that then you were able to, to pay attention to that. Right. And to take that in and then to follow that. And now you're here. And <laughs> would you say that you're, that you are happy with what you're doing now? Oh, I love what I'm doing. Yeah, and that's wonderful. Somebody tells me that I should retire because I'm old enough to. I'm like, why would I do that? I worked so hard to get here. I am. I am trying to get control of my schedule. Mm-hmm. Very poor still at saying no. Mm-hmm. Um, thank heavens for Tammy Solenberger, who sort of keeps me on track. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've done a lot of things, even in the last few years, that I, you know, I never expected. We just yeah. finished writing a chapter that's going to be published in. August, you know, I never would have thought. Um, and it's just so incredibly cool mm-hmm. to do it. And to be in this group of authors, there's 30 of us and we meet and it's, and I'm learning so much from all of them. Yeah. And to, you know, I, I interviewed a new client this morning and at some point in the interview, I asked her how old she was and she said 43. And what came out of me, I wasn't even thinking, was, yeah, you're exactly around the right age to really open up to this. Because that's mm. about where I was. I was about early 40s when this all happened. Okay. And um, and there's something about maturity and life experience and all of that. Not that the Enneagram and IFS aren't incredibly valuable for younger people, but there's something about 
taking it on midlife. Okay. It's different. Yeah. yeah, that's good to know. And would you say that, and I know we still need to even get to like, what is the Enneagram? <laughs> but would you say that our types can change throughout? No. Diff- no. Okay. So they don't. Um, okay. So let me back up with your question. So what the Enneagram is in, in my definition, which comes from the narrative tradition style of Enneagram work, which is Helen Palmer and the late Dr. David Daniels, is um, a map of how different people look at the same situation and see it differently. That's the shortest uh, definition I can give you. So you and I happen to be the same type, but let's say we were different types and we were looking at any given situation. What the Enneagram is gonna tell us is what information of the millions of bits that are coming towards both of us in any given second is gonna get prioritized. What's gonna get ignored, what might get magnified, what might get altered and like that. And if we're different types, just knowing that we're looking at the same thing and seeing it differently is enormously valuable. Mm -hmm. That's the first piece. The second thing that I think you just asked me, tell me if this is right, is about types changing. Mm-hmm. And they don't. But the reason, in my view, that the Enneagram is complex and sometimes can be difficult to learn, and part of the reason I think that it took so long for it to start to break through, is that it's not a simple system. There are nine types, nine styles of interacting with the world but you have one that's your primary and you have connections to four others. So that's five out of nine. That's not simple. Right. And what can happen over time, and this is in my story, I'll use it as as an example, is that we become more familiar with the other pieces. So for example, I'm a nine who has a line like you to six. That six part of me was built up in my legal career because that's the thinking pattern that I was taught. So I had access to that part of myself. I also have a line as you do to three. I had to learn to find that, find both the positives and the negatives of both of the connected lines, okay? There is a lot of material out there which I don't particularly love or even agree with, um, that says that as you get healthier, you move towards one of them. And as you get less healthy, you move towards the other. Well, maybe situationally moment to moment, but not in any large way. Okay. What I think is a better way to look at it is that it's a holistic system. And if we can find all of the parts in ourselves, ultimately all nine types have to be in there somewhere, but you got to start, you know, If we can find the three connected ones and we can find, which are called connected points or stress and security, and we can find the wings, which are the types on either side around the circle, which is a different kind of uh, impact. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. It gives a lot more flexibility than just being caught in one space. Right. But that can take a long time. And some of it's going to be easier than others. Easier in the sense of, meaning finding which one you are 
easier to see. Easier to see, Mm -hmm. easier to find examples, easier to accept. I mean, you know, there's an old joke in Enneagram circles that you kind of know you found your poor type when it makes you slightly ill. (laughs) (laughs) If you're looking at it from the negative side, if you're looking at it from the positive, maybe not. Yeah. Um, You know, but, but it's complicated. And there are lots of key aspects that have to be there for that to actually be your core type. So earlier on, I used to get a lot of students who came in and were convinced that they knew their type because somebody had told them or they took a test. And, you know, a lot of the time they were wrong. And my impulse, of course, if I could see that was to correct them, but that doesn't help. It doesn't help anybody to show them something that they are either unable to see or not willing to see. Sure. So, you know, we have to respect where they are. And sometimes trauma can create a false look of a type. Mm-hmm. There's a layer that has to come off first. Mm-hmm. No, there's all kinds of factors here. So this is not a simple system. Right. Um, the tests are okay. I, I don't love them because people get locked onto the results. But but they'll teach you a lot about yourself and about the what the landscape is, as long as you remember to hold it lightly. Yeah. And so how would you recommend someone find their type? Um, take a class, take a test and hold it very lightly and then read, a, you know, a bunch of stuff about the type. What's really been helpful lately is to have IFS protocols and IFS as structures. Mm-hmm. And the way that I'm looking at that and have been for the last three years or so, is that the Enneagram doesn't have method embedded in it itself. It's just, it's just not there. We've always recommended that people do self-awareness work, but there's no instructions on how to do that. Yeah. Um, we've always recommended that meditation practice is very helpful. And there was instruction on how to do that, but not how to interact your type with that or mm-hmm. with your and that kind of stuff. Um, but IFS has specific ways that we can get to know the aspects of ourselves that are holding this type in place. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the one of the things that we Tammy and I have been saying is that you communicate with your IFS parts and they begin to relax. And when they relax, they make space internally. Helen Palmer taught me years ago that as you work with your Enneagram type to make it conscious, because it's unconscious and habitual, but as you make it conscious, the pins that hold it in place loosen. Mm. It's the same, different language, same process. Because what what you're trying to do is to make space inside so that you can see these patterns, whether it's the type protectors or it's the Enneagram type um, structure, coming in on automatic, taking a pause and making a decision. Do I want to let this run or do I want to do something different? Do I want to let my nineness, which comes in and says, you're tired, go lie down, like every 15 seconds, do I want that to run or do I want to say not right now? Mm. But I can't do that until I can see it. And, and I think that IFS method gives us a way to begin to see it much more clearly than we could, right. at least in my view, before we had this. 
Well, because it's unblending, right? It, it's it it's shifting. That's exactly right. It's shifting the perspective from instead of just being what we call an IFS, right? Like blended with various parts of us. And we're looking through the eyes of that part. And I feel like the Enneagram is a great tool, would you say, to then have that be a resource to have that self-reflection of, oh, okay. So this is saying that I match with like a type nine. Let me yeah do some research about what that means. And then to like sit with that, like you were saying, like maybe in meditation, journaling, reflection, and to notice what parts are mm-hmm. coming forward that are yeah, connected yeah. to that type. Exactly. Um, and, and you can map the type to the parts or you can map the parts to the type. Okay. So let's say we have somebody who's new, who's more familiar with IFS. If we begin to interview to find out which parts they're most familiar with, chances are we're going to turn up parts that are going to indicate, maybe not definitively, but are going to give us indications of what the type is simply by what comes up in terms Mm -hmm. of the most common or the most known parts that they have. Yeah. And if we interview them about what they know, you know, their highest strengths are, we're going to get more information, which might suggest, and then we can feed it back to them. But it's a way to teach people not only how to self-observe IFS is, but why? Because the idea that only a part of me does this is an enormously freeing thing. Right. Only a part of me wants to do that negative behavior that's part of my type. Another part of me is going to do you know, the strength of my type mm-hmm. and we can separate them out. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I find that, especially now that the Enneagram is becoming more popular, I get more people coming to my practice that are, you know, already know their type and mm-hmm. their wing and they may know about IFS a little bit, but I do find it kind of fun for someone to come to me and be like, oh, I know that I'm a, I don't know, a six mm-hmm. wing five or whatever. And, and then to kind of have that knowledge and to ask them of like, okay, so what does that mean for you? What does that mean to you? Right? Like when you hear that, when you know that, like, what does that bring up for you? Because the other thing too, I'm sure is that, because I know for me, it was looking at nines, looking at eights, and then noticing what parts of me got activated that maybe didn't like that. (laughs) That's exactly right. Yeah, let me, um, you said something that I can't resist commenting on. Um, Another thing that you can do is um, your language, and it's very common with a lot of Enneagram trained people, although not not to me, is I am nine, eight wing. And I'm, I'm classed that if you look at me on the outside. So here's what I've learned in 30 years. It's likely that both wings have to be there. One of them is visible to us and or the outside world. That's certainly true of me with the eight. The other one is harder to find, but it has to be in there. Again, mm-hmm. remember that this is a holistic system. And the reason that I harp on this so so much is that a lot of my clients have learned a lot by finding that other one. Mm. 
because it's invisible. My one wing is not visible on the outside, but I know it real well. And I didn't know what that was until I loosened the idea that I only had one wing. And this is a, this is a David Daniels point going back to him. I mean, I learned so much, but he always said that again, it's holistic. It's gotta be there somewhere. It could be really hard to find. It might not have a huge impact on you, but don't get locked that you only have one side. Mm. Same way as don't get locked that you only have one connected point because it's gotta be there. Right. And certain situations are going to bring it out. Yeah. And I, I, I'm very grateful that you just said it like that, because when I looked at the, I don't know, what'd you call it? The Enneagram image, diagram. the diagram. Yeah. Uh, you know, nine is at the top and then there's eight to the left, one to the right. And when it, when my results, you know, said nine wing eight, I of course went and looked at the nine and then looked at the eight. Right. And what you just said about, because I definitely can, I can like look back then when I got those results, I'm looking at the diagram right now. That's what I'm looking at. But looking at the eight parts of me were like, oh yeah. Oh, I can definitely reflect on when that part maybe got really blended Mm -hmm. and maybe said this or did this and maybe had a negative impact, you know? So again, that I feel like is a part of me that might be like shaming that one or being critical about that one a little bit, but then I was ignoring the one, the other side, right? The other wing. You you tend, we all tend to do that, Natalie. And the other thing that happens is, and again, I'm quoting Helen, um, is we can all do all of these behaviors some of the time. And some of them are just going to be more common, but the, amount of times that you or I, who are core nine, actually do an eight behavior is minuscule compared to the number of times that an actual eight does that behavior, Mm. okay? So you can see it in any type, which is another thing that makes this not easy to see. Yeah, you know, I can can get blunt and sharp and uh, directive and all of that stuff in certain situations. But if I were actually an eight, it would look a whole lot different. Yeah. Um, so going back to what we were talking about, one of the things you can do when somebody comes to you is suggest that they look for that other wing. It's an interesting exploration or suggest as you know we often do, can you find either of your connected points? And usually they're gonna find them first in unusual situations, either very stressful situations or very relaxed, comfortable situations. That's stress and security. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a particular caveat to that, that I think is really important, that in our culture and in our language, we tend to associate stress with negative. So if you follow that logic, you'd think, oh, if I go to my stress point, I'll go to the negative side of it. Uh Uh-uh, doesn't happen that way. It just makes it more accessible in my experience. Mm. And I've interviewed um, 15,000 people over all these years. You could just as easily, and I this happens to me as well, go to your stress point under stress and see the positive aspects. So for example, <clears throat> stress can put me into six and I can get really logical in a way that my nine will not do, but it's stress putting me there. Same thing on the other side. You can go to your security point 
because things are relaxed and you're feeling really safe and the negative capacities of that type could show up. I could, Mm -hmm. our example for three, I could be running around, you know, doing tasks to avoid my feelings, Mm. even though it came up in a secure situation. So again, it's very fluid. And there's a ton of interesting stuff that you can learn if you play with it. But I think it's important to keep it open. Right. And again, I think that's such an important thing to focus on, right? Is that being open and aware and curious to how do these maybe cluster of parts within this type show up within me and when. So I, I want to share this because I know when you and Tammy do you, all your episodes together, a lot of times you'll use the example of the children's birthday party, right? To kind yeah, of, we love the children's yeah, <laughs> which is a great thing to do because it helps. I know it helped me to visualize it and then to have that self-reflection of like, well, what, what would I be doing, you know, at a birthday party? But I want to share this with you too, because I I've been going back to yoga after not going to yoga classes for a couple of years just because of the pandemic and having our son during that time and all of that. And I was in class the other day and I took a moment because I felt parts of me and you can tell me if you feel like this matches within the cluster of maybe eight. I feel like it's an eight, but there's this part of me sometimes in situations where if I feel like I'm seeing something's being done in a not effective way, <laughs> And I feel like this part of me is like, okay, if people just did it this way, this would be so much easier, but they're not. That part can get really frustrated. And sometimes that has led to me getting blended with that part and maybe saying something that's like, how about we do it this way when it's not my place, right? Like it's not me teaching. I absolutely love this uh, example because you just gave me the entree to what I was trying to say before. I don't think that's eight. Okay. I think that's one. Oh, well, okay. There see? is a right way to do this. And how could they be so silly not to see it? And somebody should speak up. Okay. Thank right? you. You know, the one right way. Um, again, the joke about ones is that they all know how to do exactly the right way for any given situation. But if you have six ones, they're all going to have a different answer. Right. <laughs> but, but here's a piece of, of you being a little bit blended with the the key here or the why I go one, not eight here is you're making a judgment. Yes. Judgment is so central to one, as you know. Okay. So there's your one wing. It popped out. Perfect. Thank you for helping me see that because in my mind, I would be looking at that being like, oh, that's, and maybe it could be right. Some of the parts of me that are in the eight realm yes. too, right? Yeah. Like there could be yeah. a part yeah. party getting activated in that yoga class. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and okay. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for bringing that but, up. You know, and, again, to go back to what you said before, it's a wonderful way to explore because I don't have to be right. But if, if you go back and think about this later, you can then interview that part and find out, is that protector an eight variety protector or is it more of a one protector? I'm just making suggestions Yeah. Um, based on what I heard. But it's a great thing to see. And then, of course, if you can unblend and get a little distance from it, then you might really learn something. Absolutely. Yeah. So in that in that moment, I had, again, that, that gift of 
whatever parts it, it were getting activated as I'm sitting there on my mat, class is about to start. People are, you know, it, it was about how the mats were being laid out in the space. And it was not efficient. It wasn't efficient, <laughs> right? <laughs> and this part of me wanted so badly to be like, okay, how about we let everyone know how about everyone we lay them out this way and that way everyone could fit. And it's not to say that part's not wrong. You know, it, it's, it's, I feel like it, it's correct. So and, you know, it's an improvement. Right. But I sat with that and I remember I sat there, this was just last weekend and I had been diving into Enneagram stuff because I knew I was going to be talking with you. And so that was on my mind. And I sat there and I was like, this is so interesting. I I didn't know if it was an eight or a one and all of that, but I just, I was like, okay, even just an IFS language, right? Parts of me are getting activated. This part of me wants to say this, (laughs) this part of me wants to do this. And can I sit here and breathe with it and unblend and just notice what happens? And what happened was it softened. I heard it. I acknowledged it. I validated and said, yep, I understand. You're frustrated. I get it. And then it softened back. Yeah, And you can let it go. Yeah. You don't have to act it out. You don't have to do anything because you have the awareness and you have method. Mm -hmm. Go back to my model, which is you have something that you can do when you catch it. You know, a, a lot of what we will say to somebody who's new to seeing their type is just watch. Watch how often this becomes a concern. Um, I even very often will say, watch the words that you use the most often. That's again, you know, Helen would always say, people will announce themselves if you at, if you listen closely enough, and they will. So one of the screening things I use if I've got somebody new is words that they use a lot. And what are they? You know, the, the easiest one is six. But if, <laughs> maybe, mm-hmm. and so on. And it's not that the rest of us don't use them. It's just the frequency. And it's yeah. just a clue because everybody's different and complicated. Exactly. And I'm, I'm now really, I feel like this energy within me getting activated, wanting to really take some time to look up ones because I've, I've never really spent a lot of time with it. But now as we're talking about this, I'm having like in the back of my mind, I I'm, as you were saying, like it's words that you use it's statements. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh, I'm thinking specifically about like my relationship with my husband and some, and there's this, again, this could be, you tell me, but I feel like it's in the one cluster where I can part, a part of me can have this tendency to say like, he's doing something like a, I don't know, cooking or a chore. And I'm like, you're not doing that right. Do it this way. So the key component of one phrased positively is always having a clear eye to how something can be improved. Okay. Yes. Now, Phrased negatively, it might come out a little harsh, but the intention is good. Mm -hmm. The intention is either to make a better product or to make something clearer or, and, and it's, it's just a piece of it. Yeah. And then if you, if you're looking further, 
you know, another key piece is that they do a lot of judging. Now they're judging themselves much more harshly than anyone else. You know, we can't even understand if we're not ones, how tough that is. But the theme of judgment and the parts that are holding judgment together gotta be there. Otherwise mm -hmm. we're in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a really cool thing to look at. And all you really have to do to follow through is look at the key components of one and just run it by those examples, run it by the birthday party. Mm -hmm. You come up with so many different examples of what people, different types would do with birthday parties, but it's fun and it's relatable. Yeah. And it's, parts. it's all parts. Right. And like you said, there's parts of us that have, well, they all have positive intention, but then there's parts of us that can be burdened in, in the IFS language, which then puts them in like an extreme energy that right. might be having a negative impact. Right. So if, right. you know, if again, like if my husband is saying to me over and over again, like, I need you to stop like saying that to me, that's activating something within him that's feeling shamed. Right. Then that is a cue for me to be like, oh, let me do that U-turn and turn towards that part that's saying that and see if that's connected to something deeper. And this is part of the genius of Dick Schwartz's work is that he gives you a way to do that. First mm -hmm. of all, we started with this. There's, it is in a lot of ways, IFS method is um, education in self-awareness not only how to do it, but why. Um, and that doesn't really exist in many places. It's really helpful because it's, it, it's, it's a frame within which to do it that's safe and that works. Mm -hmm. And it's really good. The other thing that I take from what you just said, Natalie, is what's gotten through to you is that your reaction is yours, not caused by him. And that's right. also enormously important realization that most of us struggle to get to when we're super activated. You know, and I don't very often anymore have the um, dramatic blasts of anger that were, you know, a once a year thing, like most good nines. But when I did, you know, I didn't know what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how loud I was. I didn't know what I said. I didn't know if I was hurtful or not, because it just blasted right and it wasn't eight it was nine because it was all stored up mm. but to know what that is and to understand that i can take it apart into its components and begin to catch it you know it's a huge motivation for me and i hope for other nines to not store this stuff yeah you know, and just, and I know we haven't gone through and said like a quick little thing about what each type represents. I know we've just been saying the numbers. I can, if you want. Yeah. Do you care to do that? Just to kind of well, run sure. through them. And, you know, there's another piece. The, an easy way to do it is to break the nine into three groups of three, which we call triads, as you know. And the reason we do that is because in each of these groups, there are a lot of common concerns. So if I start on the right side of the Enneagram, the points numbered two, three, and four. That's helper, in my language, helper, performer, romantic. And again, I'm trained narrative, so my words might be a little different than what you see. The names and the numbers are just labels. You like one of the other names better, that's fine. 
So if I have two, three, and four, we call them heart types or sometimes emotional types. And they share the concerns about what we call image, which is how they're received or perceived by others. It's very important to them in three different ways. Um, they share uh, a, an ability to deep empathy. Um, there's a little oddity in the middle there with the threes because they usually do not show much emotion, emotion even though they're very deeply emotional people. They are very familiar in the two and three with the idea of emotional overwhelm, which their parts will do a lot to pull back. But there's empathy, there's helpfulness, there's focus on goodwill towards others, good acts, good accomplishments and all that. So those are the first three. Is this what you wanted? Yes, that's perfect. So if I move over to the left side, I've got five, six, and seven. That's observer loyal skeptic, or I actually prefer the old name, devil's advocate, mm. and adventurer or epicure, seven. Um, and these are the three that we call the head types or the mental types. So what I should have said in, in the first triad is that each of these triads is uh, based um, more firmly in one of the centers of intelligence in the body. So there's a head center, a heart center, and a gut center. There are more, but those three. And everybody, of course, has all three. But if you happen to be in the in the heart triad, you have more familiarity with, I'm not going to say access, but more familiarity with your heart center than the other two. And if you have to be in the head center, you're going to rely more on your mental processing and logic. Mm -hmm. So those three types share um, issues around making sure that they're prepared so that they don't get surprised, um, that they can plan. Um, that they have uh, lots of possibilities in differing ways. Um, and there's a lot about gathering information and using information. So the fives are, you know, the studier thinker types, and the sevens are the visionary uh, entrepreneur type in broad strokes. And the sixes are in the middle being the most complicated because they, if you use the, the, uh, idea of fight or flight, they're sort of sitting on both of those. Mm. Um, and most sixes will have a preference. They'll be more likely to flee than they are to fight, uh, get it before it gets me or get away before it gets me. Right. So th there's a complication there and that can make that hard to see. But they share a lot of these concerns. They also share um, a, a really great grasp of analysis. And I think I said it before, logic and troubleshooting. That's a huge six strength um, and planning and all of that stuff. And so they're more likely to be more familiar with, with head-based thinking than they are with heart. Although everybody has all three. Mm -hmm. And then if you go to the top, to the eight, nine, one, um, that's... Uh, Eight is protector, or we used to say the boss. Uh, nine is mediator or peacemaker. And one is perfectionist, or some people say the ethical person, I think is one of the names. The primary center of intelligence is the gut. Or if you um, are familiar with um, yoga and such, uh, the hara in your body. And it doesn't mean we don't have the other two. We all do. Um, it just means that 
that's the one that is most familiar. So there's a lot about intuition here. Um, and the shared concerns are rather than image or planning or anticipating like the other two, it's more about control. And it doesn't necessarily mean that these people who are these three types want to control you, but they are very, very concerned, all three types, with not being controlled. Mm. So using myself as an example, and I think this is classic nine, you can ask me relatively nicely to do just about anything. And if I can, I will. You tell me I have to do it and you can just forget it. <laughs> Been like that since I was a tiny child. Mm. Okay. Um, because it feels like control. Got it. And I don't like it. And a lot of the eight behavior, which people misinterpret as trying to control them, is actually behavior to avoid being controlled. Mm. And the one has the idea that they need to project an image of being in control. And they'll create it by creating order around them and, and such. So it's like that. Yeah. Um, and that's a very quick um, run around these types, but to try to see that they're different and why we would want all three. Right. And as you're describing and going through them, you know, there were definitely things that came up for me in the back of my mind that, again, as you're saying, like, we all have some of this within oh, us. And so as you're describing each of those things, I'm like, oh yeah, I can, I can definitely sense mm -hmm. some of this within me, even though it's not in my main triad. But you could go find the parts that are activated around it and learn right. something, even if it happens once a year. Exactly. Like that, because again, it's a holistic model. Yeah. And I, I really like the I really like to think of it as a map. It, it makes it easier for me to understand it and to see the interconnections. Yeah, it makes so much sense. Yeah, and it, it's great for trailheads, as we say in IFS, right? Yeah. And just to have that curiosity of, hmm, I, I felt something get reactive within me or activated within me when I was reading about this type you know, or well, it, you gave me an opening and I'll, I'll throw something else in here. Um, Tammy and I, as we started our exploration together, um, came up with a hypothesis. And after three and a half years, it's really beginning to, to prove out in our examples and with many of our students. <clears throat> and the hypothesis is this, that in each individual of a specific Enneagram type, there has to be a constellation of a certain number of parts with certain concerns mm -hmm. because it's holding the type structure together. So if I have six nines, they're all going to have certain similar parts. Now, on top of that, they're all going to have a bunch of other parts that are life experience, maturity, trauma, whatever. Mm -hmm. But there's certain parts that are the key characteristics of the type that have to be there. And in effect, what we're finding, and this is what we, we thought would happen, is that those protectors were, in fact, holding the type structure tightly in place. Mm. As the type, as the parts unblended and relaxed, they're never going to go away. We don't want them to. Right. The exiles underneath, which are somewhat predictable, at least some of them, type by type, then the whole system relaxes and makes more space 
for mm. self to come because self energy, as you know, you can't effort towards it. You can only make space for it to come. Right. Same thing with the essence qualities or the positive attributes that are embedded in the Enneagram types. You can't strive towards them. You can't reach mm -hmm. towards them, but you can relax. And if the more receptive you are, the more likely they are to come to you. So the two systems come together beautifully, but I, it, it really is quite extraordinary that if you pick out the key components of the type, those parts have to be there. They might mm -hmm. be hard to find, but they got to be there. Yeah. And I, I've really enjoyed, like I think I said in the beginning, listening to you and Tammy talk about this integration of IFS and the Enneagram, just because it, it's... It just makes sense to me knowing IFS and now getting curious about the Enneagram. It makes sense. And so I'm grateful that you and her have come together and are sharing all this information. And I know we're getting towards the end of our conversation today. And so I wanted to ask you to share with the listeners, because I know you and Tammy have um, some Enneagram and IFS group offerings, correct? We do. Um, what we've been doing is we've been teaching a, a course that's um, either five or six sessions on consecutive days. We haven't, we don't have dates for the fall yet, but we will be doing that, which is a beginning IFS and the Enneagram together course. Um, we ask that people have some basic familiarity with each. <clears throat> we use Tammy's book, which is um, uh, the one inside. And um, my Enneagram typing cards, which are a resource. Um, all of this is on my website, which will be in the show notes, I take yes, it. Yes, yes. Um, and then we're experimenting with the idea of running a more advanced class because we've had so many students up to now in the three years we've been doing this that there's there's uh, been requests to go deeper. So we mm. may do that. Um, we may do a couple of short uh, two-hour sessions over the summer if we can find the right timing mm -hmm. as introductions to both of those pieces. Um, I'm presenting this material at the International Enneagram Conference in July. It's actually a recorded presentation. That That's great. Um, and um, we hope to be presenting at the IFS Conference in October in Denver. Yeah. And our big thing is the book. Uh, the book mm -hmm. is Together Us. The editor is Jenna Remersma, who's phenomenal. Yes. It's us and 29 other authors on what happens when you combine IFS with all different kinds of stuff. And it's mm -hmm. absolutely fascinating. And it gets published August 31st. Yeah, that's so exciting. I actually, today, I, I release an episode every Monday. And today I released an episode where I interviewed Jenna Remersma. Oh, I love and, her to pieces. Yeah, I she's she's fantastic. And I just listened to the episode where Jenna interviewed you and Tammy on Tammy's podcast. And that was, was really so great. Fun. Yeah. Uh, Tammy has dedicated her podcast for the whole year 2023 to the authors in our book. And then it came up to we had to do us. And we thought we would just do what we do. And Jenna said, No, I want to interview you. Yeah. And it was really fun, but I can tell you, I had a little bit of control parts going, I don't know, like <laughs> we have a thing here, but it was really fun and it came out great. It really so did. Anybody that's interested in IFS and um, go to the One Inside podcast, Tammy Solenberger. And there are links between her website and mine back and forth to everything. Um, I've also been interviewed a lot recently. I'm on a, a whole bunch of podcasts that are coming out. Nice. 
soon. And those all show up on my website under Perfect. IFS. That's great. Well, I'm so excited for you and Tammy and just this really amazing and fun information about incorporating the Enneagram and IFS. It's just fun. It's like it a is way. Fun. It is and fun. It's fascinating. It's endlessly fascinating. I always learn something new talking to everybody and getting to talk to another nine is very special. You <laughs> well, just, you just gotta, you know. Well, and, I, and, and I know that we have to be careful because we could have merged and had our own conversation and forgot that there was an audience. <laughs> <laughs> See, but then like parts of me love that too. I, that's funny. Cause like, since I've been hosting a podcast, it is, it is, it's interesting to notice what parts of me are activated because I can totally, like you're saying, I love to just feel like we're flowing and, you know, we're connecting and we're just sharing information and it's, it's interesting to us. And then there's a part of me that's like, well, wait a minute, hold on. Where are we on the outline? <laughs> well, and you just and you just caught it. You know, we needed to do all of the types, and I'm I'm really glad you did, Natalie, because it it I forget sometimes because I've been in this for so long. Sure, um, we have a lot of people who are new to it, and I hope that we've said enough to interest them to want a little more. Absolutely, and yes, in the show notes, I'll put your link to the website as well of as well as uh you know stuff connected to, to Tammy and your all's episodes and yes, yeah. in the, in the there book. Are, and um, As I think I told you um, on both websites, there's a series of six that we did uh, January, 2022, where we tried to really lay out all of what we were working on for the book. So it's mm -hmm. pretty, pretty clear outlined piece. Um, and, um, and then there's all kinds of new stuff always coming because it's endlessly fascinating. It is. Well, thank you so much, Joan, for being on here. And I'm sure I'm going to be connecting with you again in the future as you just keep, you know, coming out with some fun, amazing things and, and connecting Enneagram with IFS. Um, the last thing I'll say, Natalie, is if, if anyone wants to go to my website, there's supposed to be a pop-up to sign up to the email list. If you do that, you'll get all the information as we put the classes in place. Um, the one thing I will say is that we limit the size of our classes. They're all on Zoom, um, but we limit very strictly so that everybody gets enough time. So if you see something you like, jump on it because they fill really quick. Yes. And, and for the non-self-promoting nine, say that that was a development. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you for bringing that up. So have them go to the website and get on the email sign list. up. Yeah. Get on the email list. And then they should be able to receive those updates. They would. And they can do it on either mine or Tammy's that you get the same information. Okay, perfect. Thanks, All right, Joan. Thank you so much, everyone. I'll talk to you next time. Bye.